Hello, this is Isaac Haney Owens, and you're listening to the Leaders for Inclusive Community podcast, hosted by the Kelsey, covering topics related to housing and disability. Welcome. Thanks for listening. Each episode, I'll meet with different community leaders to learn about what they do and ask them questions about how their work can make housing and communities more inclusive for people with disabilities. So I think we have a big choice and we have a big opportunity as humans, as people who build these built environments to really improve the health um, of those around us. We have a responsibility for that. Today, we're interviewing Teresa Nguyen at Colorado Employment First, where she develops training and curriculum for youth and families in employment and health. So it's nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too, Isaac. Thanks yeah, for having me. Yeah, this is a topic that you're going to talk about. It's something that I don't really have any, that I'm not really from, that I'm unfamiliar with how housing, how health and housing go together because I have a hard time seeing that, built, seeing that connection. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, they seem really disconnected. You know, housing doesn't really have anything to do with like, you know, your body or your health um, in a way that you can see. And so it's hard to, I think, harder to think about, but it definitely does. And um, yeah, I'm excited to share more on that and how they go together. So the first question is, how was it like growing up with a disability? Um, so yeah, just to give everybody some context, um, I was born with a genetic disorder called osteogenesis imperfecta or oi for short um which really just means you know i have brittle bones they break really easily and more often than the average person um for me i use a power wheelchair to get around and i have been using a wheelchair since i was five years old i believe um and so for a lot of my life that really you know um, impacted the way I um, experienced things. So that meant, you know, for first and foremost, I had to be able to move around my house um, where I was living pretty easily. Um, as a kid, that wasn't really possible. Um, we had a three-story house with stairs. And so, um, so we had to come up with other ways for me to kind of still be independent, but also, um, you know, move around, like live in the house that, that we were in that was not completely accessible for a power wheelchair. So um, what that meant was most of my childhood, I would not actually have my wheelchair inside my house. Um, so even though I mainly use a power wheelchair now, um, as a child, I used um, a walker because that was a little bit lighter and can fit into more um, spaces, including a three-story house. Um, so I use that often, or I just kind of um, scooted myself around on the floor in the in my house. 
And so, you know, that kind of impacted, right? Like what I could do and what I couldn't do inside my own home. Um, for example, um, you know, I didn't have great balance. And so using a walker um, just kind of prevented me to do a lot of things because I had to focus on walking and, instead of, um, you know, doing other things such as, I don't know, uh, setting the table for dinner or, you know, using the kitchen to my own um, independent ability. So I really wasn't able to do many tasks that um, help people live independently until I was able to use a wheelchair inside of the house. And that came much later in my life. Um, so, you know, I think that really impacted the way I learned things and experienced things in the world. And, um, and so, you know, uh, that was kind of what it was like growing up with a disability um, in the context of, of housing and mobility, um, if that makes sense. And it's great to see that you don't let your disability control your life. Yeah, I try not to, you know, I mean, I've had great role models that kind of helped expand my world and, um, and my parents really, you know, um, helped empower me to really just kind of explore my boundaries and my independence. So yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. So what made, what made you decide to go into the healthcare field? Well, um, you know, having a disability, like I talked about, I was really somebody who basically grew up um, in the healthcare setting, in and out of, you know, doctor's offices and hospitals. Um, and I saw kind of both the positives and the negatives of the healthcare system. Um, I saw the challenges that the system posed on my parents who are immigrants from Vietnam. And I thought, you know, a lot about how I could improve the systems as an English speaking, you know, first generation Asian American, like, how could I bridge that gap for those who don't know the American culture and know the American healthcare system. So I wanted to tackle that challenge. But then on the flip side, I also saw how, you know, my own health outcomes, um, which I think are positive for the most part, um, they were impacted by, you know, certain parts of the healthcare system that were really great, um, including, you know, really educated and passionate medical doctors who, um, who have dedicated their lives into just kind of tackling those disability components of healthcare and barriers. And so um, I wanted to be kind of a part of that change as well and contribute positively to um, the health outcomes of other people with disabilities. And so those two things, you know, kind of um, addressing the, the challenges that come with the healthcare system that currently exists, and then also just being a part of that change. Um, those are the two things that motivated me to go into the healthcare field. It's great to see that you're doing something good for this community. Oh, thank you. What does it mean when you say understanding the importance of building environments and health outcome? Well, I mean, I think there are so many things that impact our health. Um, there are the places where people live that impacts health, um, where, you know, people learn um, the conditions and where people work and play and hang out. 
those are all things that um, affect a wide range of health risks and health outcomes. Um, and these are known as the social determinants of health. And so, you know, kind of examples of that um, are things like housing, education, um, employment, and of course, the environment. And all of these factors are mainly a part of our built environment. These systems, these buildings are designed by people in our society. And um, so I think we have a big choice and we have a big opportunity as humans, as people who build these built environments to really improve the health um, of those around us. We have a responsibility for that. How does housing impact people's health? Oh gosh, um, in so many ways. Um, you know, when we think about how much housing costs, right? Um, if we don't have access to affordable housing, to cheap housing, um, people will have to make a choice between what they need to spend their money on. So if they spend half or more of their paycheck on their housing, then they have to um, make cuts to other spending in their lives, such as, you know, spend less money on groceries. Um, so what quality and what kind of food are they spending money on that um, contributes to their health? Or um, they will have to spend less money on their actual medical care, right? Are they going to go to the doctor when they need to, or are they going to skip that appointment um, because it's too expensive and they would rather live in a house? or an apartment um, before they kind of take care of those needs. So housing costs contribute to health. Um, quality of housing also contributes to health, right? If there's bad construction or poor air circulation, ventilation, um, if there are pests around the housing components, if there are accessibility barriers, those all can either um, cause injuries or illnesses or, you know, or, um, or exacerbate them. So things like, you know, long-term disability and asthma are often associated with poor quality of housing. Um, and so I think those are, you know, kind of the main components of how housing contributes to health. Um, the cost and the quality really matter. Um, and they affect people's lives every day. How, how has COVID shown impact, important, uh, important housing is for people with disabilities? Um, it definitely has had impact on um, housing for people with disabilities. I currently work um, in an organization that is um, working on improving the employment system in Colorado for people with disabilities. So one way I've seen it directly impact housing is, you know, in the time of COVID, one of the first groups of people to be laid off or to be furloughed um, are people with disabilities. And so in that way, um, people with disabilities are often let go of positions in a crisis, which means, you know, that leaves a lot of questions to, how they're going to pay their bills. And I, you know, the bills include housing. Um, and so I've seen a lot of um, folks, you know, lose housing because of the pandemic. 
that's one way and that's related to their job um, and how they can keep that. Another example is um, the qual like when I talk about the quality of housing and the air ventilation or air circulation, um, I've seen that affect a lot of people with disabilities and their choice to leave an apartment setting where um, there are more people um, in that setting contributing to kind of the air quality and air ventilation that could be a little bit less um, helpful in the pandemic. And so um, again, you know, that starts kind of the process all over again for people with disabilities to search for accessible, affordable housing that now does not include shared environments such as apartments or condos. Um, we don't see many standalone houses or um, spaces that are accessible for people with disabilities. And so um, just COVID has really narrowed down the options for people on where they can live um, safely. So those are the two ways that it's impacted that I've seen in my life. And also homeless people are impacted by it too, because they don't have a home to go to in the first place. So then they're affected and then they're more at risk of getting getting the uh, disease. Absolutely, absolutely, exactly right. And also in COVID, people have, I've been hearing on the news that people have been uh, been, been not wanting to go to the hospital and get those, get those things, get themselves seen by a doctor when they need to because they're worried about getting COVID from the hospital. That's right, yeah. And that's another thing, right? That's like, you know, in light of preventing COVID, folks will, now not go for you know routine checkups or you know a different issue not related to covid because of the the high risk in the healthcare settings and so um yeah that's definitely um a big pattern that we're seeing as well what would you like to see in the future of healthcare oh gosh in healthcare um I would like to see expanded access to healthcare, meaning, you know, lower cost, um, lower cost for everything, but really just, you know, medical care, um, I think is, is the hardest to access because of the cost of, um, of those things. And so I would like to see a lower cost. I would like to see a better way that healthcare is communicated to, um, many people in society. I don't think our culture has valued health as a priority. Um, and so I would like to see that change to maybe prioritize health before economic status or health before um, independence. I, I think it just would change a lot of things and a lot of choices people make for themselves. And so um, that's a big culture shift. I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, but it's just been very clear um, during COVID that we just are not good at talking about healthcare. We're not good about that. And we're not good at making it a number one priority. Um, so that's, I think that's the big thing that I would like to see change. What do you think has to happen to make healthcare available for everybody and not just those that can afford it? Oh gosh. Um, you know, well, I think that, um, 
it needs to be a priority of our leaders within the federal government, right? Um, that really means having the right people in the Medicaid system, having the right people in um, health and human services to really direct that kind of work. I think it really all comes down to leadership and um, the priorities of our country's leaders. I think that will help expand healthcare. I think having people with disabilities um, as a part of the healthcare conversation um, will help expand access um, for many communities. But I think many people with disabilities experience a lot of barriers that others other communities have experienced as well. Um, but I think we can empower ourselves to be a part of that conversation and, and leadership um, to really speak up for those inequities. I think that's how we expand access. And, um, and truly, if we did put health first as a country, as a priority, I think we our budget would, would look different um, to expanding healthcare. And so, um, so they're all just things to consider and, and they're all really hard change to make. And how is your organization working to make sure that minority communities know about the, the information that, that relates to healthcare? Um, my own organization is more employment focused than healthcare, but um, you know, I think we do just um, relationship building and targeted community partnerships to really help get our information out to the communities um, that are underrepresented, underserved, including you know, people of color and um, minority communities. So really just those targeted community partnerships and relationship building, um, I think is important. And, um, you know, they've done a really great job in, in making sure that the staff that they've hired in my organization are trusted in those communities. And so, um, so when information comes, um, it comes from a well-known person who identifies with the minority communities who can be trusted um, and who can bring that information to them. So I, I do think it, it matters um, who you hire and, and how intentional you are about um, getting that information to the minority, minority communities in a way that doesn't seem... Um, random or unrelated and also advocating is the best is one way to help is advocating to save these systems so that later generations can benefit from them yeah absolutely um yeah i think advocacy is forever important in a lot of our work and specifically for our minority communities um but i think it starts with empowering those communities to advocate right and I don't know if we've done a really good job of that. So we need to continue. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Is there anything you might want to add before the end, before we end the interview? You know, I think that it's so important that you all cover um, how health and housing intersect. I think, like I said in the beginning, many people don't think about it that way because you can't see it with your own eyes like every day how that would affect somebody's health but um but i see it in kind of the background right like when people have to make choices about you know where they spend their money and, and where they can be the most safe when they're living and so 
I think it's just important to kind of highlight these things that are not often talked about. And um, I'm grateful for you guys to be doing that. Thanks for listening. For more information on the Kelsey or to check out more of my podcast episodes, visit thekelsey.org. If you have a topic you'd like me to explore or a person to interview, email me at isaac at thekelsey.org. Goodbye.